Thank you all for being with us today. We're happy that you're here. If you're a, vi- a visitor, we're especially happy that you're here. And we pray that uh, and hope that you've already been warmly welcomed this morning. We hope that you will here find a church family who loves God, loves people, loves God's Word, loves God's will. Seeking God's will for our lives as individuals and as a church family. And we hope that on the way out today, you'll linger a bit so that we can greet you uh, and get to know you. But we're very happy for this beautiful day that God has given us and we're blessed and we count it as a great privilege that we can gather together with like-minded folks, brothers and sisters in Christ, and worship our Almighty God who deserves every ounce of praise that we can ascribe to His name. Amen? How many people out there like home videos? Raise your hand. Are you a home video fan? You like these old home movies? I'm a big fan. And I have no idea how many hours I've already logged on my little digital video camera of our girls since Elise was just an infant. I haven't counted up, but I like to have that out in special moments to capture those. And our girls, the older two, they love to go back and watch videos from when they were little, as if, you know, they're not little right now. Let us go back and watch from, you know, a few years ago, uh, from this birthday party or from that Christmas. And let me tell you, I come from a long line of home videographers. My dad's here. My granddad's here. Dad always had that camcorder out going. And he's got a drawer full of old VHS tapes. And when we're back home, sometimes we like to get those out. And the girls like to watch those when I was uh, little and when my brother was little. And my granddad's here today too. And I remember sitting in his basement and watching those old 8mm film reels. He had to pull out you know, the big projector from the closet and he showed it up on the wall and it was when he took my dad and his brother, he and my, my grandmother, they all went out west together back in the 1960s. And that is forever um, uh, memorialized on those old 8mm tapes. I love home videos. They contain precious, cherished memories of what seem like simpler times. And they take us back and cause us to be sentimental and cause us to be thankful for the memories that we have and for family members, some of whom have already passed on. When I read Hosea chapter 11, I see that God likens Himself to a father. And he likens Israel, his chosen people, uh, to his adopted child. We've already been looking at Hosea, and we've seen that the dominant metaphor is God is the scorned husband. He is the faithful spouse, and Israel is the adulterous spouse who has gone off and run around on God, and God continues to take her back despite her infidelity. But in chapter 11, the image changes. And now God is a loving, patient father, and Israel is a rebellious child. And when I read Hosea chapter 11, it is almost as if, and I imagine as I read it, that God is watching his own grainy home movie reel. And he's thinking back on the good old days, when Israel loved him, when they wanted to be in a relationship with him, when they wanted to be obedient to his will. I want you to look in verse 1 of chapter 11. 
We hear God saying, when Israel was a child, I loved him. God is wistful here. He's nostalgic. Thinking back on their past together. I loved him when he was a child. Out of Egypt I called my son. He calls to mind the great deliverance that uh, he brought about. Guiding his people up out of Egyptian bondage. Back in the good old days. And then verse 3, the first part. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Ephraim stands in here for Israel or God's people. I taught him to walk. My precious child. I took him up by his arms. If you're a parent in here, you remember when your child first learned to walk. God is recalling this in a uh, metaphorical sense. I remember when Israel was young enough and I I taught them how to walk. And then in verse 4, I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them. I fed them. This depicts a tender God tending to every need of His beloved child. But watching this home movie reel for God is a very sorrowful experience. Because this father has to think about how much things have changed. And as God is recalling these memories, He's sentimental for the way things were because His beloved child has now turned into a wayward, ungrateful, unrepentant grown-up. Look with me in verse 2. After God says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. I called him as my son out of Egypt. But the more that I called, the more they went away. What sorrow, what heartache we hear in that verse. And then the latter part of verse 3. I taught him to walk. I took him up by his arms. But he didn't even know that it was me who was helping him. He didn't know that it was I who healed him. You know, being a parent is really hard. It's the hardest job that there is, I'm convinced. Being a parent of young children is hard. That's where I'm at right now. Your patience is tested. You lose a lot of sleep. Sometimes you feel like you're losing your mind. You're at you know, your wit's end. Lauren was telling me the other day that um, she was trying to get the girls ready to come for a Wednesday night church and I was at a meeting with the elders, and I'm not blaming the elders for this. So it's not their fault, but, uh, so I don't think that. But I was of no help to her in getting our three daughters ready. Avery was squalling. She was screaming. She wanted to be held, but Lauren couldn't hold her because she had to give a bath to the older two. And I think Neely was crying, and Elise was talking about something. And so it was just pandemonium in the house. And Lauren said to the two older girls, you guys give me, you have given me a lot of gray hairs. And uh, Ali said, no, Mom, I think that's just because you were born in the 1980s. Uh, Being a parent is hard. And it's exhausting. And it puts gray hairs on your head. Even if you were, you know, like us, born in the 1980s. The hardest thing about being a parent, though, the hardest thing of all, the hardest thing that a parent has to face is when his or her child chooses a destructive path. I want to tell you about a young woman that I know named Jenny. Jenny was adopted as a young child into a stable Christian family. Her father a preacher and a Bible professor. Growing up, she never dreamed that she could become addicted to alcohol and drugs. Never around the stuff 
as a child. She wanted instead, as many children do, to become a veterinarian. But at 18 years old, she took her first drink. And 21 months later, she was in her first treatment center. After that stint, to her credit, she didn't drink again for three and a half years. But to fill the void that alcohol left behind, she began taking prescription pills, thinking that that would be a harmless replacement. And in four months, she had done everything to herself except stick a needle in her arm. And she was sitting in a jail cell on felony charges. Even then, she didn't really believe she was addicted. She wasn't like those other people who become addicted to alcohol and drugs. She was different. But her choices, well, they told another story. And as she slowly destroyed her life, her parents watched from the front row. All their efforts to help her seemingly worthless. Back to Israel. At risk of sounding like a broken record here, because we've said this before in our series, we're going through a series of some of these minor prophets. Because of their rebellion, because they decided to follow after other gods, God says they must face discipline. They must face punishment. If you look here in chapter 11, starting in verse 5, God says, they shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king. They're not going back into Egyptian bondage. They're going into Assyrian bondage because of their bad choices. Because they have refused to return to me. I've called them back to me. I've been so good to them. But they will not come back into a right relationship with me. And therefore, they'll be taken into exile in Assyria. Verse 6, the sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. They are convinced that's the way to go. And though they call out to the Most High, He shall not raise them up at all. God says, if my people don't want to have anything to do with me, if they want to turn away from me, if they don't want me to be their dad anymore, my, their father, then they can have it their way. And these people can come and take them off. I'll allow them to leave the land. I'll allow them to not exist in a relationship with me. And let's not forget, God's children today, all over the globe, we face destruction because of our rebellion. That is the state of the world as we know it. Humanity, people on every continent and every country, we are a broken race. And we face a bleak future. The Bible makes this clear in Romans 5 and verse 18. That, that's one place. Paul says, one trespass, a trespass, a sin at the very beginning of time has cast all humanity into sinfulness and therefore all men face condemnation and destruction because of our sin. God can't be in the presence of sin. He can't be in the presence of sinners. Punishment must come down upon us because of our rebelliousness. We face condemnation. Israel did as well. But I want us to continue in chapter 11. Because right after the pronouncement of judgment that God makes against His people, I want you to listen to verse 8. I want you to listen to the sudden shift in the language of God. God says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim, these cities that have been destroyed? How can I allow you to be destroyed? You're my people. You're my child. 
He says, my heart recoils. It, it pulls back within me. My compassion. Listen, this, these are the words of God. This is the heart of God. Listen to Him. My compassion, it grows warm. And it grows tender. Now we may look at verse 8 and then the verses preceding that and think, is God, is He a flip-flopper? Is He indecisive? Can He not make up His mind? No, I, I believe is the answer to that question. What we, what we get here in verse 8 is a glimpse into the inner struggle of God. His children, they deserve punishment without a doubt because of their sinfulness, because of their rebellion. But at the same time, they're His children and His heart burns with love for them. His affection outweighs. It's heavier than their ingratitude. You know, a parent never, ever, ever gives up hope that his or her child will eventually turn from their destructive choices. Jenny's parents never gave up hope on her. After that initial arrest, she spent the next two years of her life in and out of jail and treatment, but only receiving slaps on the wrist when she got into trouble. On February the 4th, 2000, an important date, she was arrested once again. And it was actually a relief because she knew that in jail she wouldn't be able to use drugs and drink. At this arrest, she felt that in a way she hadn't before, that she faced a fork in the road. She could not imagine continuing to live like this. She knew that if she did, she'd be dead. But at the same time, she could not imagine her life without the drugs and alcohol. She thought things would never get better. She was hopeless. But one of the few constants in this dark valley was the undying love and concern from her parents. As they tried to, as they grappled with how best to help their daughter. And she remembers her dad saying to her, There is nothing that you could ever do to make us stop loving you. But we aren't going to rescue you from your bad choices. She was facing 13 years in prison and sentenced to three. I want us in our passage to notice the language of movement. In verse 2, we've already looked at it. God says, the more they were called, the more they went away. The more I drew them closer, the more they pulled back and resisted my advances. And in their distance from me, God says in verse 5, they have refused to return to me. God implies here that it is now up to them. It's now up to Israel, to his people, to make that turn toward God. The ball is in their court. God is waiting for them to come back. They've got to make the first move. And when they do that, well, as another prophet said in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. If you take that first step in my direction, I'll be there with open arms. I think about what James says in the New Testament. Draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. That's a promise. Take that first initial step toward God and He'll be there. He'll be drawing near to you. He's anxious for you to do that. And when we run home to our Father with penitent hearts, just like the Father in Jesus, terrible. You know, the one who jumped off the front porch. He saw his son coming from a distance. He ran out to, to meet him and he embraced him. And he welcomed him home. God will welcome us with open arms as well, when we decide to come to our senses and return home. 
Fred Craddock tells the story of when he lived in Oklahoma, he and his wife lived down the street from this family. The parents were divorced. There were a lot of daughters. One was 14. She matured very quickly. She began getting into all sorts of trouble. She stood before a juvenile judge. She was charged with possessing marijuana and some other drugs. And this judge sentenced her to some time serving in a juvenile detention center in the southern part of the state. She was pregnant when she left. and She had the baby while she was there. And the word got back to town that she was coming home, bringing the baby with her. And on the day that she was to return home, everybody in the neighborhood had to mow their grass to see if she was going to come back with the baby. And so everybody's out. Fred Craddock is out. He's mowing his grass, waiting and waiting and mowing. And he says, I got down to about one blade at a time that afternoon mowing. And there comes the car with the young lady. She had the baby, born out of wedlock, in prison. And he says, when she pulled up, people came out of the house. And they hugged her and they took the baby. And more cars pulled up, people got out, they started going into the house. Taking turns holding the baby, hugging the young lady. And pretty soon there were so many cars out in the street, you couldn't even get a car down the street. They threw a party for this young lady because she'd come home. A party not unlike the party that was thrown for the prodigal son. When he came home with a penitent heart ready to say, I was wrong and I'm sorry. The father says, put a robe on his shoulders, put rings on his fingers, put shoes on his feet, kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate because my son who was lost has now come home. A parent always rejoices when their child comes home. And because of Jesus, we can come home. If we come with penitent hearts, we can experience salvation instead of destruction. As we said earlier in Romans, we all face the penalty for our sins, which is condemnation. But Paul says one act of righteousness by Jesus Christ at the cross leads to justification and life for all men. And so through Jesus Christ, we can experience the love of God and not His wrath. We can come home, and when we do, we can expect our Father there waiting on us with open arms. You know, I'm happy to say that the girl we've been talking about, Jenny, she turned back from her destructive ways. This story ends well. In her time behind bars, she realized what recovery was all about. It wasn't about everyone around her changing. Jenny realized that she had to change. She also discovered that only God could fill the emptiness inside her that she had been feeding with drugs and alcohol. And she developed a relationship with God that she had never had before. And she was for the first time in a very long time hopeful that she could turn things around and be different. And she, as of this day, has been clean and sober for 16 years years. Praise God. Only by His power can something like that happen. Jenny's now a wife. She's a mom. Her relationship with her parents has never been better. And their love for her is one of the biggest reasons that she made it out of her pit of addiction. And most importantly, she's a woman of faith. And she gives God all the credit for picking up the broken pieces of her life and gluing them back together. She says, God is the great glue that keeps my life together.
she returned Jenny to the Lord in a big dramatic way. And maybe you this morning, maybe you need to return to the Lord in a big dramatic way. You're here today, and you know that your life is not oriented around God and His will. Maybe your life has gone off the rails to such an extent that you believe it's time to make things right in a big, dramatic, public way this morning and, and that you need to come and, and, and confess sins before God and before this congregation and to be restored. And let me tell you, it's not just going to be me down here waiting to hug you and shake your hand. God will be here as well. He's waiting for you. He's eager for you to come. If that's what you need to do today. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, well... I don't need to return to God in a big, dramatic way like that. Maybe what you need to do is return in a smaller, yet no less significant way today. Sometimes I think we get into the habit of considering confession and repentance, things we do when we're, we're just involved in the big public sins, but every day we should be people who are confessing our sins to God, who are repenting of our former ways. Every day should be an exercise in us returning to God. God, I want to be closer to you today than I was yesterday. I want to live more closely attuned with your will today than I did yesterday. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Even if I can't think of any, I know there are some in my life because I'm a sinful creature and I need the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, to constantly cover my sins. I need your grace and your mercy every single day as I travel through this life. There's not a one of us here, not a one, who needs the blood of Jesus washing over us each and every moment of our lives. So maybe you don't think you need to come in a big dramatic way, but maybe you need to come all the same. Because you need to make an adjustment, and you need to acknowledge wrongdoing, and you want to make things right with the Lord and do better than you did before. Or maybe what you need this morning is simply to be reminded of how much God loves you. Do you know God loves you? Do you believe it? Do you not only know it here, but know it here? Sometimes the longest trip is from the head to the heart. Knowing something up here, and we don't know it here. Unlike it, well, I want us to look in verse 9. What does God say at the, at the close of our passage this morning? I will not execute my burning anger. My people deserve it because of their sin. Punishment ought to be theirs. But because of my love for them and my compassion, I will not execute it. I will not again destroy Ephraim. I am God and not a man. I'm the Holy One in your midst and I will not come in wrath. God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. His love and His mercy and His grace. And unlike Israel, I hope that your awareness of God's love grows throughout your life instead of diminishes. Theirs diminished. Ours ought to grow. We should become more and more amazed with each passing day at how much our God loves us and wants us to be saved and in His presence forevermore. And no matter how many times you've been less than grateful for God's love, Jenny, as she recounted her story to me, she said, I felt like I had done so much that God would never love me again, that there was no way He'd ever take me back into His arms. I was wrong. And no matter how many times you are, you've been less than grateful for God's love or you've spurned it all together, He has never stopped loving you and He's never stopped hoping that you'd come back home to Him. And if you're not in a relationship with Him this morning, 
He wants nothing more than for you to come and to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. A well-known preacher tells the story of a sophomore uh, at one of our Christian universities back in the 1970s. He was in his second year at one of our Christian universities and he was having to work his way through school and this particular semester he was working in the admissions office. And he was doing some filing and he was all by himself in the office and he did something that he shouldn't have done. He went and looked up his file of when he was admitted as a student because he was curious. He wanted to see what his references said about him and his character and his academic profile. And so he pulled out his file, he was thumbing through it, and he looked at the letter from his parents. And he saw for the very first time that he had been adopted. And for whatever reason, the parents decided to keep this adoption a secret. And he drops the file right there and he goes and he grabs his car keys and he gets in his car and he starts to drive. And some people who worked in the admissions office, they come in later and they see the file strewn all over the floor and they piece together what must have happened. And so they pick up the phone and they call the parents. And they say, we believe that your son has found out that he's adopted. And we think he's headed your way, so we want you to be ready. And sure enough, in a short amount of time, he wheels into the driveway and comes in the front door. His parents are waiting on him. And he runs to them. And he hugs them. And he kisses them. And he says, I never knew how much you loved me. You chose me. You adopted me. And he hugged them and he kissed them. And he expressed his love to them in ways that he hadn't before because he didn't know. May you experience the love of God like that this morning and going throughout the rest of this week and through the rest of your life. May you experience anew the love of God. And may you realize how good you got it as a believer. How many times have you told your kids when they've complained about something? Or they've said, I have the worst mom and dad ever. They're so mean. I've said this recently. You don't know how good you've got it. Would you hear the voice of God saying that to you this morning? you've been less than grateful for His love, if you've taken it for granted, you don't know how good you've got it. Rest in the love of God today. And if you're here and you haven't professed faith in Christ and you haven't been baptized and you haven't entered the loving embrace of your Father, today's your day. Make it happen right now as we stand and sing.